Jews, therefore, because it was the day of preparation so that the bodies should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other man who was crucified with him. But coming to Jesus, when they saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately there came out blood and water. And he who has seen has borne witness, and his witness is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth, so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after these things, Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. He came therefore and took away his body. And Nicodemus came also, who had first come to him by night bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen, wrapping with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, on account of the Jewish day of preparation, because the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. You know, we thought last week about Jesus' crucifixion and all that that involved. And I remember finishing that message last week, and I thought, oh, good, I can talk about the resurrection next week. But this week, as I was thinking about that, I realized I had left out these last 10 or so verses from our text, and the Lord seemed to say to me, Steve, you know, it wasn't Friday, Sunday. It was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. There was a day in between. And so I want you to think about what these words mean that he was dead and that he was buried and that there was a waiting time in between the death and the resurrection of of Jesus. In fact, this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when when Paul rehearses the gospel story, according to the scripture Jesus died and was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The third day is an important theme in the scriptures. Many things happened on the third day when Esther said to the people, all fast, she said, you fast for three days, and on the third day I will come before the king. When Jonah's in the belly of the great fish, how long was he in there? He was in there for three days. So according to the scriptures, Jesus was uh, uh, in the grave on the three days. Now, I should explain right away. You say, well, Friday and Sunday is not three days. That's because you're thinking the way we count time. In that day, um, in that day, they would think of every part of a day as a day. So, the end of Friday was day one, Saturday was day two, and Sunday morning was day, uh, day three. So, it was a third day when Jesus was raised. And so, here we are on what is called Silent Saturday. What must it have been like for the disciples to experience Silent Saturday. 
They had seen the horror of what had happened on Friday, whether close up like John or from a distance. They had seen that horror and experienced it. We know that Sundays are on the corner, but they don't know that. They're in the middle of silent Saturday. It's the question, what do you do after the worst has happened that can ever happen? And the next good thing hasn't yet happened. It's the day after you get the doctor's horrible news. It's Silent Saturday. It's the day after you get that awful letter delivered to you in the mail. It's the day after the tragic accident you go through. It's the day after the lost job and before the new job. Are any of you ever in the middle of Silent Saturday? (laughs) Many of you are there right now. You're in that middle place the day in between. Yes, there's a future hope. Yes, there's an expectation. Yes, something's going to be good. You believe it. I hope you do anyway. But meanwhile, here you are, stuck on Saturday. Jesus was dead and buried on silent Sabbath day. It was Saturday. So this message is for you, all of us, who go through Silent Saturday. As we look at this text, we're going to see that there are three things that are important in this text that that John, the gospel writer, wants for us to see. And we'll get to that main theme as we get more towards uh, towards the end of this text. Okay, so in John chapter 19, as Greg read it for you, we see first there are three things we want to see. The one we think we want to see is we want to see, go ahead, the genuine death of Jesus. And you can take notes in your, in your message notes if you want on this. The apostle John wants us to see and experience the, the genuine death of Jesus. He takes special pains to let us know. I know this is going to be a little bit distracting to you, but I need to do it in order to be able to see. Um, um, he wants us to see that Jesus' death was a real death, okay? The genuine death of Jesus. Jesus' death was real, and secondly, Jesus' death brought deliverance. Let's take a look at this together. First of all, Jesus' death was real. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, he did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear and came out, and there came, at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. John wants us to know that this was not uh, a swoon on the cross. Remember the Princess Bride movie? Remember Billy Crystal in that movie? Any of you know? Remember this? It's a great little fable movie. And uh, you got to watch it. It came on TV a week ago, and I, I had to watch it again. You know, I just, it's just so much fun to yeah, How many of you know the lines, you know, uh, my name is Enrico Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. <laughs> you know that? Um, but the line I'm thinking about is, some of you remember that, right? And Buttercup, and what does he, what does the, he always say, as you wish. 
as you wish. It's about true love. It's a great fable. You ought to watch it. But the point I'm thinking about is when, um, when uh, um, the, uh, the dread pirate is dead, and they bring him to Billy Crystal, who doesn't look like Billy Crystal. And Billy Crystal is the magic man who's supposed to make him alive again. And what does he say about him? He's mostly dead. He's mostly dead. There's nothing to be kind as he's fully dead, but he's mostly dead because he had died for the sake of true love. True love. Remember that? Some of you, Charlie, you must have seen that movie pretty recently, yeah? Uh, in any case, Jesus was not mostly dead. No simple magic potion was going to make him alive. And John wants his readers to know that when, that when Jesus died, he was really Truly, literally, dead, not mostly dead. And so we see here, and I, I feel a little funny as I said, but the Jewish wish and the executioner's execution and the eyewitness witness. What's the Jewish wish? The Jewish wish was take him down. They wanted him to take him down. They didn't want him to be there on the Sabbath day. Remember, this was Passover. Now, Passover did not always occur on Friday of, whole, of week. It just happened that year providentially to occur then. Passover had happened on Friday, and they didn't want him to be in the, on, hanging up on Saturday. They didn't want any of those guys. It was a holy day, and he calls it a high holy day because this particular Sabbath had occurred on the day after Passover. So the Jewish people said, please take them down. Because normally, especially on charges of sedition, as Jesus' charge was, they would not even properly bury these people. They would just leave them up there until the vultures ate their body. That's what would have normally happened. But the Jewish people said, no, we don't want any any crosses on this holy day of Sabbath day, so please take him down. And so the executioners, that is the Romans, began to go and to do what they normally would do because it had been a very short period of time. These guys probably were not dead yet. It hadn't been long enough, okay? So they go, and uh, what they do is they look and they break the legs of these guys. You know, they break the legs of the first one and of the second one, and they go to Jesus, and they realize he looks to be already dead. And so they determined not to break his legs, not to do what they normally would do, but rather to stick a spear in his side. We don't know exactly where. Traditionally, it's in his right side, but really we don't know. And what comes out is blood mixed with water. The body fluids had begun to separate, and it was clear that despite the fact that Jesus had uh, not been on the cross that long, he had expired early. Now, why would they break the legs of these guys? Not simply so that they could not walk away. That would be an obvious thing if they were alive. But if you know anything about crucifixion, perhaps you know this, that you're hanging from this cross, and you've got a leg support underneath you, and you're hanging down, and for the most part, what you die of is asphyxiation. You die of strangling, because what you need to do is be able to push yourself up so that your lungs can open up so that you can take breath. And so continually while you're hanging on that cross, you're holding yourself up. And what is it that happens if someone breaks your legs with a pole? Well, of course, you cannot push yourself up. And so you begin to strangle 
up there on that cross is probably a more merciful way to die than just hanging up there until your, your strength gives out. So that's why they would break the legs. But it was clear that Jesus was already dead. And so uh, they, uh, uh, they don't break his legs. They put uh, the, the spear in his side, and out comes blood and water. And this signals to them, this guy has already died. His body fluids have begun to break up inside of his, inside of his body. And so John says, and it's very significant to me, that John says in verse 35, He who saw it has borne witness, his testimony is true, and he knows he is telling the truth that you also may believe. What's he bearing witness to? Jesus was truly dead. So when we get to this resurrection, we need to note that this was was an overcoming of a literal actual death, not merely a spiritual death. So the, 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 important, the, the, the death of Jesus is very important for us to understand, that Jesus was most, not mostly dead, literally dead, okay? And then John goes on to tell us the second part here is that Jesus' death brings deliverance, that Jesus' death brings deliverance. Notice what he says in the following verses. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And then also, um, and another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. You see, we see here that Jesus, where it says not one of his bones would be broken, this is a reference to the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. When you remember Jesus this death occurred on Passover at the time of the sacrifice. Providentially, this is how that it had worked out. And so John is referring to the fact that Jesus is just like those sacrificial lambs. Their bones are not to be broken. This is supposed to be a spotless lamb, not with any defects, no infirmities. See, if you have to sacrifice a lamb, the natural thing to do is sacrifice a lamb you didn't like very much, right? So you could eat the other one, right? But no, God said, no, we want you to have a perfect, spotless lamb. No broken bones. So when John mentions this about no bones being broken, he's giving us a clue as John, as you know, this gifted artist writing this story about the true events of Jesus lets us know through this clue that Jesus is not just a man dying on the cross. He is a lamb dying on the cross. And in John chapter 1, verse 29 and verse 35 of this very text, this gospel, I say, in the beginning of it, John the, John the Baptist says to Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John is the only gospel writer who speaks of Jesus as the Lamb of God in this fashion, and this is the fulfillment of that, that Jesus the Lamb gave his life in order to be our Passover Lamb, bringing for us the forgiveness which the Passover Lamb brought to those people. That's what John wants us to see. And the second thing he wants us to see is that Jesus, the Messiah, suffered in order to bring to us deliverance. That's what it means there in in the next section. And they will look on him whom they have pierced. We can't take time, but in Zechariah, this is a quote from Zechariah, and it's a reference to the looking of the piercing of the promised deliverer that will bring deliverance. And so John is giving to us a reference that this Jesus who died is not simply the Lamb of God, but also the Messiah, the anointed one of God, the one who is the deliverer. So we want to see, first of all here, the genuine death of Jesus. John wants his readers to know, I saw it. It's true. I'm a witness to this fact. He was 
dead. Let's see the second thing. The second thing that John wants us to know in this is the kingly burial of Jesus. Jesus uh, Jesus' kingly burial. This goes on in the next section. It says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. I remember I said that these criminals who uh, were guilty of treason, remember he was killed for being a king, right? He comes, and uh, he normally would have been left on there to rot, and if he had been taken down, he would just be cast away in a group grave in Gehenna, probably. Some of you may know that, the biblical reference to hell, but the, the Gehenna, he would be cast there to rot. But see what is happening here. Something unusual. Joseph of, of Arimathea, it's the first we meet him in this uh, in this gospel, he's apparently a very well-connected religious Jew who has access to Pilate. Perhaps he was in the Sanhedrin. We don't know. But somehow, Joseph of Arimathea is able to gain the body of Jesus. And so what Joseph begins to do, and there's two things that they do. They, they receive burial garments and a burial place. Joseph's burial place, a brand new tomb. Jesus was not going to be just cast out amongst all the, in the mass grave of Gehenna, but he was going to be given a king's brand new tomb. He who had been sacrificed for being the king of the Jews is being buried like a true king. And look at what Nicodemus provides for him. Nicodemus also, who had come to Jesus by night, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took Jesus and bound it in linen cloths in, with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Then, now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had laid. And they laid Jesus there. We see that Jesus, and if you were with us the last couple of weeks, we know this confrontation between Jesus and Pilate is about who is the real king. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, I'm a king, but I'm not a king like you think. I'm not a king that comes from out of this world, but I'm a king of this world that comes out from this world for this world. I'm a different kind of king. And the religious people said, we have no king but Caesar. Pilate says, you're not really a king. And Jesus said, you would have no power except God gave it to you. This is a power encounter. And Jesus, the king, suffers in weakness, in, 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 in shame, in nakedness, but at his death, once he says it is accomplished, he gets treated like a king. He is given 75 pounds, and some say 100 pounds, but the way they measured it, probably more like 75 or 80 pounds of, of spices. This is what they would, they didn't embalm them like the Egyptians did. What they would do is they would put uh, uh, spices around and wrap them around it. And the way the burial customs happened then is they would use, put them in a tomb. Usually tombs got reused after a while. Put them in a tomb, and they would put the spices in order basically to, to delay the putrefaction that would occur and delay, you know, and overcome the smell that would occur. And after a time, then that body would decompose and they would put the bones, they put the bones into an ossuary and they put the bones somewhere and reuse the tomb. Sometimes the bones would be put at the back of the tomb. That would be the normal pattern. And so they had come in and used, and this is a regal amount of spices and ointment. This is the, the kind of ointment that is fit for a king. And that's exactly what Jesus got there. So we see the kingly burial of Jesus. He received a king's burial garments and he received a king's burial 
place. And then it says, and let's go to the last part now here, uh, Brian. At the very end of it, it says, and then, sorry, I lost my place. And so it was the, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close by, they laid Jesus there on Friday evening before dark. And then on John chapter 20, now on the first day of the week. So we have this silent Saturday. Jesus' story is a three-day story, the silent Saturday of Jesus. Um, in the Apostles' Creed, we speak about the dead, the, the death and the burial and the descent of Jesus. This is an important part of the biblical story. Think about it. Friday is the worst day in all of history when humans kill God in the flesh. Sunday is the best day in all human history when God gives, when God raises Jesus from the dead. Saturday is that day in between. It's the day after what happened before and the day before what happens next. It's the day you may be in right now. The divorce is past, but what's next? The foreclosure is past, but what's next? The fight was yesterday. We haven't made up yet. You see? The death was yesterday, but what happens next? How does my family move forward? It's the day of waiting, the day of silence. It's the husband who wants to save his marriage, but the wife who won't listen. It's the couple who want to have a child, but there is no baby to come. It's the parents who have a child who's desperately hurting and destroying his or her life. And what happens next? It's the job that got lost. It's the relationship that's broken. It's that day of waiting. It's that day in between the first day and that day until the third day. The question is, what do you do on Saturday? What do you do? And if you don't know that question, I know you do because you've been in Saturday often in your life. What do we usually do? Often we approach Saturday with despair. It's awful. It'll be terrible. It'll never be good. The disciples felt despair on that Saturday. They thought it was over. They really believed they had been fools and failures. They didn't think anything good was going to come out of this. They lived that day in despair. Sometimes people live Saturday not with despair, but with denial. And this troubles me. Christians do this a lot. They don't admit how broken, how lonely, how hurt, how lost, how angry, how frustrated, how shake your fist at God they really feel. They think it's unspiritual to have those feelings, and so they repress them. Oh, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. It's all good, right? You know people like that. It's easy to do that, isn't it? No. Denial is not what we do. What do you do on Saturday? I don't have any great word for you. I can tell you that I believe what you do is this. You wait right where you are, who you are, right there, knowing that Jesus is with you in that moment. See, the beauty of Saturday is that Jesus spent 
that day of isolation, of loneliness. Now, granted, the Spirit, well, there's more to say about this, but I haven't the time. Uh, but uh, Jesus walks with us in Saturday. So whatever you've got to do, do it with Jesus. When you cry, cry with Jesus. When you're angry, be angry with Jesus. When you're frustrated, be frustrated with Jesus. That place of silence, that place of waiting, that place of I don't know what's next. It's got to be good, but it feels awful right now. That place is where Jesus meets you. That's what's beautiful about Saturday. Because as God could certainly have Jesus died, be died, and raised up the next day. Why'd he wait? This is a three-day story, and we often live in a three-day story. And in fact, in part, we live that today because resurrection for us happened on Jesus' day back then, and culminations happening in the future. Where are we living? In what part we're living on Saturday sometimes. We're in between in the not-yet portion of our, of our lives. You see, and you, uh, it's, uh, you ever seen those trapeze artists? You know, the, there's a guy who flies. The, if you think about it, there's a guy, there's the flyer and there's the catcher, you know. And we get pretty amazed at the flyer, but the real guy is the catcher, right? And for many of us, we're in that middle period where we just don't know where it's going to come out, and it's frightening. Will the catcher catch me? Will Sunday come? And the good news is, because of the resurrection, no matter what it looks like, feels like today, resurrection will come. There is always hope. You see, we need to remember that there is no suffering we go through that Jesus would not endure in order to save us. Jesus went through our Saturday. Yes, there's a miracle on Sunday when the man was raised from the dead, when Jesus was raised from the dead. But there is also a miracle on Saturday when God experienced our pain, our suffering, our limbo-ness. Yeah. Why is it that two people can have the same tragedy and one person comes out bitter, the other person comes out better? Why? It's because of how they felt, how they approached Saturday. So if you become a bitter, vengeful, revengeful, angry person, that's because you chose to do that. But if you can take even your bitterness, your anger, your frustration, and say to Jesus who suffered every kind of suffering that we can experience, and you say, Lord, this stinks, I hate it, I'm hanging on as tight as I can to you, he will not push you away. That's what Saturday's like. He's there. He's there. And it hurts, but it's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you. For Saturday, it's a tough day, and it's a day we sometimes feel. Thank you that you are with us in those in-between moments, those days of silence, those moments of waiting, suffering, of fearing, of what feel to be hopelessness. And Lord, I pray for encouragement because in this room today, the real stuff of life hits us on these Saturdays. 
and help us in those moments to not pretend that we feel differently, not to lash out against you, but rather simply to say, Lord, this stinks, it hurts, and help me, help me. Even say the tough things, but say them to you. Lord, why, how, where, when I'm hurting. And know that when we do that, we do that to a God who waited between Friday and Sunday for resurrection. May we live hopefully because of what Jesus did. In his name we pray. 